0: This week's TribCast is sponsored by Raise Your Hand Texas. Listen to the new Raise Your Hand Texas podcast, Intersect Ed, where the stories of education policy and practice meet. Visit raiseyourhandtexas.org slash podcast. And the George W. Bush Presidential Center reopened, featuring a special exhibit, Out of Many, One, Portraits of America's Immigrants. Tickets available online only at bushcenter.org slash immigration.
1: Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune TripCast for June 11th, 2021, 2021, we are in 2021. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. And this week we are joined by Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Politics Reporter Patrick Spitek. Hello. And Politics Reporter James Badergon. Hey there. Hey, thanks for joining us. So this week, we heard a familiar rallying cry, you know, in the the 2016 election, we heard Donald Trump often at his campaign events call, build the wall, and and his supporters would yell back, and Texas is going to pay for it. (laughs) That, of course, is a joke. It was Mexico is going to pay for it. But now that Donald Trump is no longer... The president and, and Joe Biden has uh, moved away from plans of building a border wall. We heard an announcement this week from Governor Greg Abbott about um, maybe Texas stepping in and, and, and doing some of that work itself. Patrick, you were watching that event last night in which Governor Abbott was in El, Del Rio. Can you tell us a little bit about what he said?
2: Well, he didn't say much beyond just saying that uh, Texas has a plan to build its own border wall or to finish the border wall, as he put it, um, and that he would announce it next week. And he didn't provide, uh, you know, any other deal that Um, this was. Of several border security related announcements he made at this summit um, Thursday evening in Del Rio, um, you know, also announced the formation of, uh, you know, a new task force on border security that's going to meet every two weeks, uh, announced like w- what he described as an interstate compact with Arizona and on border security and they're trying to recruit other states to join it, um, you know, also announced Um, you know, what would appear to be new, um, you know, arrest power for state authorities for people who are uh, caught crossing the border uh, illegally. And so, um, you know, obviously going all in on uh, border security over these past several months with Joe Biden in the White House and this border security summit that he held last night seemed to be the culmination of that.
1: Sure. Ross, you know, I think one of the immediate questions everyone had is, you know, how how does Texas build a border wall? There, there, I think there are a lot of questions that we that, that people are wondering right now. What 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 stood out to you about the announcement?
3: Well, I think the main thing that stood out to me was really that he was after a legislative session, you know, where they talked about this and that and the other thing, returning to the issue that for years and years of University of Texas Texas Tribune polling has been the top concern of Texas Republican voters: border security and immigration, and Greg Abbott's on the ballot in 2022, saying at least so far that he's going to run for reelection. I haven't seen anything to the contrary, really. And he's returning to that issue and playing a hand here that probably has at least 18 or 24 months of life in it uh, with a conversation over how do you enforce this stuff? How do you build a wall? How do you do all of this stuff? Um, But basically, you know, in performance mode of politics, you know, appearing before his voters as taking on their most fervent concern. Um, We'll see if other things pop up. You know, we could talk about electricity, maybe we could talk about, you know, any number of things that'll pop up. But this has been really super persistent in the polling, and it's Abbott returning to the issue most important to his base
1: yeah that's interesting i mean i was going to ask the question of there's so many things going on in texas right now so many things that have been gaining our attention what you know that we just got out of a legislative session the voting bill of course is the front of minds of uh of people like us and the press um of course the pandemic of course you know how texas is responding to the winter storm but it really does seem like it james that you know uh every time we kind of all focus on something over the last few months Abbott seems pretty interested and eager to kind of turn that conversation back to the border as quickly as possible.
4: Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, we've got to remember he did this also in 2017 with the sanctuary cities ban. Um, there were a lot of other things that the state could have been dealing with, including um, fixing, that was before we had uh, that, that big 2019 public education uh, redux bill. They could have been focusing on that, but instead the governor chose to focus on sanctuary cities. Um, which it was unclear what the definition on that was. And it was unclear how many there actually were in Texas. Um, But no, I think Ross is right. The governor returns to a tried and true subject. And the reality is that um, as long as things continue to be the way they are in Mexico and in that Northern Triangle and those Northern Triangle countries, immigrants are going to continue to try to come to the border. And I think it has to be said, I mean, there has been a surge at the border there has been a surge. I mean, there there is a lot of people coming over the border. Um, so there needs to be an actual thoughtful conversation. Um, I think the question here is, does that conversation happen in Austin, or is it supposed to happen in Washington, D.C.? I think there's questions. I think we've talked about the, the legality of this. Uh, groups like the ACLU have already raised uh, questions about uh, you know federalism issues. Immigration is supposed to be a legal purview of the federal government and how is the how's the state government now here getting involved so uh, it's it's going to be interesting and again the governor played his favorite game of you know i'm going to make a big pronouncement and then we'll give you the details later so um a lot of uncertainty i think about how that border wall actually or border barrier whatever they're calling it is is going to actually work and or come to come to be
1: yeah and, and patrick of course, you know. Uh, I don't know if Abbott would necessarily disagree that this is the federal government's purview. Um, he seems to be making the case, right, that he's stepping in because, in, as his telling, the, the Biden administration isn't doing his job on this.
2: Right. I mean, we heard this from former governors. I mean, Rick Perry would say almost exactly the same thing, that this is the federal government's responsibility. But until the federal government and Congress step up and act, Texas is going to fill the void. Rick Perry said that. Greg Abbott has said it almost every year of his his governorship. So that's that's really not a a huge change there. Um, Going back to what Ross said, I mean, politically, this is just the most enduring issue for him. I mean, it constantly, uh, you know, ranks at the top of the concerns, if not consistently number one of, you know, Republican voters. Um, And, you know, whereas some of these other issues may be a little more fleeting in terms of their, um, how important they are to voters or Republican voters. I mean, this is one that is just, that is just always there. Um, and it's one that is going to be you know if we're if we're talking about campaigns it's one that's still going to be a top concern for republican primary voters in 2022 and it's one that's going to continue to be a uh, for it's going to continue to be a concern probably in 2024 when republicans are picking their their next uh, presidential nominee and so um you know it's uh just going to be a consistent issue going forward and so i think he's you know really trying to own it knowing that
4: and I think the other thing about that is that there's always somebody else to blame, right? Because it's not supposed to be a state government issue, right? And so Patrick is right in saying like uh, Perry Perry blamed the feds and Abbott has blamed the feds um, and, and he's blaming them now, but he was also blaming the feds when Trump was in office, the big, tough, uh, tough on the border, tough on illegal immigration. Trump was in the White House, but back then it wasn't aimed at Trump, right? It was aimed at the, oh, well, the Democrats control Congress, and that's why we can't get anything done. So there's always a deflection and an opportunity for uh, a smart politician like Abbott is to say, I can do a better job.
3: This is one of those things where you politically benefit whether you f- succeed or fail on the policy matter. You know, it doesn't really matter on a political level whether Abbott gets a wall built or not. It didn't matter whether Trump got a wall built or not. It's that you were in the fight. The same thing's true if you arrest or don't arrest. Um, undocumented immigrants, you know, um, and, you know, to some extent for the political fight if the federal government or the courts keep the state from, you know, jumping into what have been federal matters, um, that accrues politically to the benefit of the governor.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I do wonder a little bit about, you know, is this a play, as you said, this is an important issue to Republican voters. Um, how much of, of this is, is Abbott thinking nationally? How much of this is he thinking locally? Of course, um, James, I think you were the first to point out that I saw that, um, you know, Governor Abbott already has a primary challenge and um, Don Huffines and that Don Huffines had made, you know, a pretty similar proposal, right, already about, about Texas building the border walls. Is, is, am, am I saying that correctly?
4: Um, I don't think I publicly said that. Yeah. Uh said <laughs> but internally. I, sure, I'll take the credit privately. It <laughs> <Not now, yeah. laughs> <laughs> was the first one. Yeah, sure. I, I, to- I learned it
1: from you, but maybe you just told me.
4: <laughs> no, but I think I think that is a that is a great point. And you know, Patrick and I were chatting uh, about that before I even messaged you and saying, like, isn't this a Don Huffine's idea? I think that just goes to prove like, one, like how unprecedented this is. I mean, obviously a lot of governors. Abbott, Perry, even Bush struggled with with the border issues, right? But none of them went to the extent of saying, "I'm going to build the border wall." Um, and there's probably reasons for that, right? But the other thing that it shows is that there is pressure from the right, right? And that Don Huffines had made this a point. It's right there on his website. He was tweeting about it. I wouldn't be surprised if it was if it was one on uh, one of his billboards, and he made that a point. And so, if Abbott is trying to uh, defend uh, or fend off those on his right flank, then he adopts their position. And, um, you know, uh, it makes things a whole lot easier for him. I think it speaks to the pressure.
2: Yeah, you it, know, it should be noted that, you know, calling it a, a proposal is, is a little generous. I mean, <laughs> uh, both, I mean, as we pointed out, like Abbott hasn't provided details. As far as I've seen, Don Huffines hasn't provided details on how exactly uh, this would work um but it goes back to what ross said which is like kind of this trump era thing you just throw out you know the suggestion leave the details to later and hope that politically you you're seen by your base as as fighting um and so yeah i just wanted to make it clear that like you know uh the policy blueprint here is not exactly uh, posted on anybody's website. Yet. <laughs>
1: yeah for sure Uh, a good good point on that and you know he did say that he would have more details i believe next week so we eagerly await those details but
4: but this is but this is a longstanding issue you know we 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 talked about this recently where uh maybe (laughs) the the time is blurring for me but maybe it was last week or two weeks ago where he he said he's going to defund the legislature and he said more details to come later and then even earlier in the year there was the talk about like defunding the police on homeless issues and then there was a question posed to him. Well, what are you going to do about homeless issues? And they said, well, I think that, that, that proposal, that strategy is going to come at a later time. And correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick or, or Ross or anybody here, but like, I don't think that proposal ever came right. I think that's, that's part of the strategy. Like they just, we'll, we'll get the details later. And then details sometimes come, sometimes don't. Later is still later.
1: Yeah, you know they they did have this camping ban that came through the legislature. But you know, one thing that I that you just reminded me of was um, also the Austin policing thing, right? Where he had kind of floated these ideas of basically like a state takeover of policing of downtown Austin or or control okay. of the Austin Police Department. And that is definitely an issue that didn't really seem to gain any traction. And yeah, I'm not even sure whether there was a bill on that. But if there was, it didn't it didn't it didn't go anywhere. You know, going back to about this issue and, and kind of on the national standpoint, you know, one thing that I kind of observed during the um, period where Governor Abbott was kind of unwinding some of the coronavirus restrictions was that he was getting a lot of grief from the very conservative wing of his party for kind of being a little bit behind Governor DeSantis from Florida on some of these things. And, you know, uh, the people who were looking to criticize him were talking about, like, you know, oh, you know, you're just kind of following his lead or whatever. And this, you know, it does seem like an opportunity for him to kind of try to position himself as a leader on this issue. You know, one thing that I saw, um, you know, of course, being a border governor, he's in a good position to kind of be at the forefront of a fight with the Biden administration over immigration, but then also this One of the things that he announced yesterday was a a compact with the state of Arizona to invoke what they called an emergency management assistance compact. And I'm looking at the press release from Abbott's office yesterday about this and it's saying that uh, Abbott and the Arizona governor are asking other states to send law enforcement officials to assist in making arrests and jailing along the border. And they're seeking resources such as drones and helicopters to help landowners who are dealing with damage to their property. So I'm curious to see whether that turns into anything and whether they kind of look to the other Republican governors who maybe aren't along the border to kind of, you know, say, I'm kind of rallying these folks to, to you know, do
2: what, what they say the, the Biden administration is not doing. I guess yeah, we'll that's that really what I, what I thought about when he presented that idea is that, you know, politically that could set up a litmus test for other red state governors who may have national ambitions. I mean, you could, um, you know, you could, uh, this, this is, you know, a very hypothetical scenario where you could see Abbott looking across the debate stage in, in you know, in South Carolina in, in a few years at Ron DeSantis and saying, you know, when I was, you know, tackling the border crisis and, and soliciting help from other states, you know, where was Florida? Why didn't you guys send your, uh, your resources and your assets? Um, you know, I just, I, that's immediately what I thought of when I heard that. So, but maybe that's just the all out political hacking me.
4: And I did yeah. see, I did see tweets to that effect as well. I mean, you know, Florida, you know, the only border they got, I guess, is with Alabama and Georgia, I guess. So, uh, yeah, he, he out, yeah, I guess he outmaneuvered them on that
0: one.
3: So you're Russell- saying they have a reason for a wall too. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm curious to see if the, if the blue state governors on the border, you know, react to this in any way, New Mexico and California, and whether any of the, you know, this takes hold in any blue states at all, or whether this is, you know, another thing where we have a, you know, some kind of situation, I don't even want to say problem, but some kind of situation that's viewed entirely differently, depending on what your party politics are.
1: Yep. Yep. Ross, you are our uh, resident state budget expert. Um, <laughs> building a wall I hear is a pretty uh, expensive uh, proposition. Um are there, are there a lot of just like extra dollars laying around in the budget that uh, Abbott's waiting to sign where this could be done?
3: Not exactly, but yes. Um, you know, so the, the first thing is they had plenty of room in the state budget um, and the controller has already certified it. So that's already in place. There's no appropriation in there for a border wall or for anything like this. And, you know, the governor conveniently made this suggestion after the budget was finalized, Uh, he's still got it in his hands. He can subtract from it, ask the legislature where their funding's going, um, but he can't add to it. There is, however, this uh, something on the order of $16 billion in federal COVID relief money that is still to be spent. And so there's an appropriation, there's two appropriations pieces coming up. One of them, when the legislature comes back in special session later, probably this summer, one of the things they'll be doing is a supplemental budget, probably to restore their own funding. That's a place where you could stick money for something like this, right? If you're making an appropriations at that point, you know, you could piggyback. The other one is that, you know, this 16 billion in federal relief money, the governor promised that he would include the legislature in the appropriation of that money. And it's got a lot of strings attached. I'm not sure it would work in this circumstance, but it's a lot of money that's floating around. And, You could perhaps supplant some spending in the budget, use state dollars for the governor's border wall if the legislature wants to do that, use some of the federal money to plug those holes. There's a couple of places where you could fiddle with this and at least get the argument out of it.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see, of course, next week. um, The other big announcement we're waiting for from Abbott is what he's going to do about the special session, right? And whether he vetoes the, the legislature's funding and things like that, you know, it we will see whether those announcements come together and whether there's some kind of a special session element to this, you know, in the, the coming coming months. Um, definitely be interesting to see. All right, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors.
0: Texas 2036. This session, the Texas legislature made real progress with lasting benefits. Learn which bills will shape our future the most at texas2036.org slash blog and Austin Community Foundation. A new report commissioned by Austin Community Foundation offers actionable steps to address the housing crisis. Read it now at austincf.org.
1: All right. So another interesting political development that we've seen in the last week were some local elections, um, mayoral races in Fort Worth, uh, McAllen. We saw city council races in San Antonio. Patrick, you were keeping a bit of an eye on this. Can you tell us what the big takeaways are from the, the local elections?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest race on Saturday night, um, at least in terms of, uh, you know, the biggest city where a big race happened was in Fort Worth, the mayoral runoff came to an end and and Maddie Parker, who former chief of staff to the retiring mayor, Betsy Price, she won a runoff against Deborah Peoples, who's the chairwoman of the Tarrant County Democratic Party. Parker won uh, by, I believe, seven points, at least, uh, you know, as of the closing time on our story on election night. Um, You know, Peoples had run for this seat two years ago when Betsy Price was still in office. She gave Betsy Price her first real challenge, still lost by um, double digits, I believe it was in the low teens. Um, So you have, you know, some progress for Democrats here, but this, you know, uh, even though it was a nonpartisan race, um, this win by Maddie Parker still keeps this in in the Republican column effectively. Maddie Parker uh, considers herself a Republican. Uh, Deborah Peoples obviously considers herself a Democrat as the chairwoman of the county party. Uh, they had both tried to play down partisanship in their races, um, so it wasn't necessarily, I would argue, uh, an open uh, referendum, um, in some ways on partisan messages that they were putting forward, but everyone watching the race seemed to know who was, you know, fighting for which team here. Um, and then the other, the other race that caught attention on Saturday night was the McAllen, uh, mayoral runoff in which, uh, Javier Villalobos, who is a former, uh, chair of the Hidalgo County GOP. He won that race, uh, very narrowly. Um, he's also a former, uh, your current governor Abbott appointee, uh, former, uh, Governor Rick Perry appointee, um, and Republicans are thrilled about uh, being able to claim one of their own. Um, you know, leading uh, you know a city in the Rio Grande Valley, especially at a time when they're making this broader uh, offensive in South Texas, hoping to pick up state legislative congressional seats there.
1: Yeah, a you know someone who really likes to look for political narratives might look at this and say these are two pretty strategically important areas of the state right now. Fort Worth, kind of. The last sort of swing county, Tarrant County, in, in in the state, you know, where where Republicans have been losing ground, but but held on right here, and of course McAllen in South Texas, where um, Democrats fared particularly, or, you know, relatively poorly in the 2020 elections compared to history and expectations there. And to see both of those cities elect someone who is a, you know, known Republican, even if they didn't run as a Republican in that race. You know, James, am I, uh, am I getting too excited if I say this is, you know, another, you know, not too encouraging sign for Texas Democrats?
4: Yeah, I'm I'm here to throw the cold water on it here. <laughs> <laughs> even though I I wrote this story, so people can dunk on me for the narrative. But you know, even Javier Villalobos, who who was the uh, the who's a mayor elect now in McAllen, a Republican and former uh, GOP chairman, he even said like, "Well, look, it, it was a nonpartisan race, um, and I ran it." In a nonpartisan way and he said uh, and and sometimes people didn't know that he was a republican and actually when people didn't know he was a republican they actually he, he said quote and i quote he was semi-shunned um but nonetheless he was able to win it because of the way he says he approached the race which was to be nonpartisan, talk about kitchen table issues he talked a lot about being a conservative um uh, on fiscal matters um, and on being inclusive. And he actually, if you read the story on our website, he talked. He admonished a lot of the GOP top leaders um, who he said have rhetoric that is divisive and that turns Latinos away. And he said, don't do that. You have to be inclusive. You, if we want to continue winning, and if you wanna win particularly in South Texas, you have to be inclusive. You're gonna to have to win over some Democrats and you're gonna to have to win over some independents. Um, nonetheless, the I think, That, combined with President Trump's, um, you know, surprise wins in South Texas have really emboldened Republicans to say, hey, um, let's go check out South Texas and let's see what we can do. Um, The Associated Republicans of Texans have recently announced that they've got six targets down there. Um, And so that'll be interesting if they can recruit strong candidates, because we know that uh, Governor Abbott has long seen South Texas as a place where he can pick up voters, you know, conservative Latino voters. Um, same thing with George P. Bush. Um, and now that they're potentially both on the ticket, definitely both on the ticket for the primaries, um, that's going to give those down ballot Republicans in South Texas a big name uh, to draw crowds, right? And, and they say, come see Governor Abbott, come see uh, Commissioner Bush. And by the way, I am also running, so vote for me. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, there is still a lot of work to be done and in, in Spanish we have this saying say that that goes este arroz ya está cocido Th- this rice is done and I don't think the rice is done there yet. I think they've got a lot of work to do in terms of building up their infrastructure, um, you know, reaching out to voters, convincing a lot of those democratic voters and really strong democratic voters that they should give the GOP a look. And I think that's the challenge for Republicans. How do you convince them? And the Democrats on their side are saying, like, yeah, we welcome them coming down here and, and basically wasting their time and money challenging Ryan Guillen, who has been in office nearly twenty years and has half a million dollars. And we'll go, we'll go mess around with their seats in Fort Bend County or in Houston or in um, the Dallas suburbs. You know, I think they're they're welcoming that. But one thing, and and Patrick, I saw you picked up on this. So the, the quote that you chose to tweet was. Alex Dominguez, who who actually he's he's a second term um, Democrat down there in Brownsville. And he actually was like, this is this is, you know, this is something that we ought to be paying attention to. And we've got to be careful because we're basically the Democrat blue wall here down on the border. And we can't we can't lose that blue wall. So lots of different thoughts and opinions. I think it is worth sort of watching. Uh, but like I said, the rice, the rice is not cooked.
1: Yeah, James, something that kind of struck me about that story was you had uh, the the newly elected GOP uh, uh, or the new, newly elected mayor who happens to be a Republican kind of admonishing his own party, you know, saying, you know, we need to have that inclusive message. And some people in his party are unfortunately not doing that. And then you have the democratic elected uh, state representative coming out and saying, you know, kind of admonishing his party and saying to take this um, take this seriously. It seems like kind of folks from both sides are a little bit concerned about the messages that their parties are sending
4: out right now. And I think that's why there's opportunity there. And Patrick, I know you spent some time in South Texas and, and have looked at some of these districts. But I think that's I think that's why Republicans see an opportunity down there, because clearly in 2020, Democrats did not spend a lot of time in South Texas. And even in 2018, remember, Beto did terribly in that. Democrat primary um, in 2018. Um, So I think people down there in South Texas really feel like, well, this is a Democratic stronghold, but it's such a stronghold that they're not even really paying attention to us. They don't come campaign for us. Biden didn't spend any money there. And, And the chairman of the Democratic Party here in Texas points out that he asked and pleaded with the Biden campaign to come down there to South Texas. They could have got a lot more votes. Um, and and the Biden campaign refused. So I think people down there are saying, well, if you're not even going to take us into account, you're not going to take care of us, you're not even going to c- campaign down here, then maybe we ought to start looking at different options. And I think that's where the Republicans are seeing the opportunity. And also that, you know, um, South Texas uh, Hispanics, Latinos, they are a little bit more conservative. I think um, uh, there's there's um, a lot of religiosity down there, Catholics as well as evangelicals. They do align with Republicans on certain social issues, um, and particularly also on border stuff and on um, and on law enforcement stuff is is what the Republicans were talking about. So I, I think that. Opens up interesting opportunities, but even the Democrats are conservative down there. You saw Alex Dominguez saying, like, we we like the border patrol, we help the border patrol, and we fund the we fund the police. So, like, if they want to come down here and have that battle, we'll have that battle and we'll win on our record. So, definitely lots of interesting things going on down there. Yeah, and I'll just
2: add to many of those state reps, or a good chunk of those state reps in South Texas, um, you know, have built relatively nuanced voting records in the legislature compared to their. Um, counterparts in the big cities and suburbs. I mean, it's it's not necessarily, I mean, it's happened, you know, you can, you can point to some votes this session, but they've been quietly building more nuanced voting records for multiple sessions, at least some of them have. And so um, they may not be as easy to attack on the record uh, on their wreck on their voting records as some republicans think i'm sure they're uh, <laughs> you can find any vote and blow it up and, and make it politically dangerous to someone but um i think who, it should would, be do so out.
4: who would do so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean to
2: your to your point patrick i think
1: uh, a good number of the small a good portion of the small number of democrats who voted for the constitutional carry bill the permitless carry bill were were from from that part of
2: part of the state if i recall Right, exactly. And then then some of the Democrats who apparently stayed back on the SB7 walkout at the end of the regular session were uh, from South Texas. Um, You know, and I spoke that night with one of those Democrats who stayed back, Eddie Morales. Um, You know, he's a Democrat, uh, represents um, that kind of, uh, he's from Eagle Pass Um, and I spoke with him that night about his decision not to walk out. He made clear he did not support SB7, but, um, you know, wanted to stick around and argue against the bill, and he also pointed out the time, look, I represent a pretty conservative, um, you know, pretty, as far as democratic standards go, a pretty conservative district, Um, and I don't think they expect me to, you know, be obstructing like this. They would rather have me stay behind and stay in the fight and at least debate this, so um, you know, he, he's a newer member of, from the South Texas delegation, if you want to call it that. But I think the point still stands that some of them have definitely built more nuanced, independent records um, than some of their counterparts in the big cities and suburbs.
3: I just think the area has become competitive. You know, in the old days when the Democrats had a majority in Texas, the, the weak edge was the West Texas Democrats. And they eventually flipped all of those districts. And then the weak edge was the East Texas Democrats and they, and they flipped a lot of those districts and now they're going to South Texas. And, you know, i I got a peek at, um, Mark, um, Mark Jones at Rice university at the end of every session grabs all of the votes that were cast and then ranks the members of the legislature from most to least conservative or from least to most liberal, however you want to say that. And the most conservative, um, Democrats in this in the House right now are concentrated in South Texas. And, and I think, you know, what James is talking about the reluctance of, you know, the identified Republicans to make that their leading edge or the identified Democrats to make that their leading edge. We've watched Henry Cuellar for years sort of straddle a lot of these issues. I think that's the area of Texas that, you know, is h- historically a stronghold, but is now the competitive edge for the Democrats. And that's where they either hold their ground. Or lose some more ground.
1: So um, we've also kind of continued to see statewide developments in the looking ahead to 2022. I think the, the biggest news this week so far has been Eva Guzman announcing that she will not, or, or no, she resigned, not just that she won't run for re-election for the Texas Supreme Court. Um, I, I know there were some people who looked at that and thought, you know, maybe there's a uh, um, a uh, run for a attorney general in the in her future. Patrick, what do you, you seeing do you see in out of that possibility?
2: Yeah, the speculation right now is is that she's going to run for attorney general. She hasn't confirmed that. People close to her haven't confirmed that. Her last day on the the court uh, is today, Friday, and so um, she probably is pretty restrained in what she what signals she can send or what she can do until she actually is no longer uh, on the Texas Supreme Court. That'll end after today, and I assume you'll you'll see some next steps if she is indeed running for attorney general. I mean that is would be a fascinating campaign, given that you already have another statewide office holder, George P. Bush, the land commissioner running against the incumbent, um, Ken Paxton. Um, Very fascinating to see, obviously, what Lane uh, Guzman thinks that she can occupy there. Um, You know, there are some, I think, assumptions being made that she would kind of, uh, you know, uh, be competing with the same pool of voters that George P. Bush uh, would be there. Um, I don't I don't know. I think the thing is that when you have a Supreme Court justice. You, know, you don't necessarily know a lot about their politics because it's not a statewide uh, you know, role in which you're able to be very political. Um, you, know, you can go to Lincoln Reagan day dinners and give speeches about how you're upholding the rule of law on the court and how you're a fair jurist, um, but you don't often see them out in public elaborating on their politics, definitely not weighing in on every single news of the day uh, story that would give them, a, that would give us a gauge of kind of how far to the right or how far to the center they may be as a Republican. And so I think it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see her, you know, her politics um, come more into focus in a race where she has the uh, latitude to be more political.
3: Worked for John Cornyn and Greg Abbott. <laughs> Indeed. <My friend>. Indeed. Indeed.
2: <laughs> You know, something that I found
1: interesting about that possibility is just as we talk about uh, Republican efforts to reach Hispanic voters, uh, you know, not just in South Texas, but across the state, you look at now a possibility where two, you know, prominent statewide Hispanic Republicans, George P. Bush, whose mother is Mexican-American and Ava Guzman, possibly, you know, vacating their statewide seats to run against each other against an, incum- an incumbent for another statewide seat. You know, I, I do wonder strategically if this might not be what the Republicans would would want from those two candidates, given, you know, the inroads they're trying to make in the, the Hispanic community. Uh, obviously, we'll see if that's that's what her intention is, though. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you point out, I mean, uh, you know, Hispanic Republicans have the potential to lose two statewide office holders here, both Guzman and Bush run, and, and both lose. Um, now, of course, Abbott could, uh, you know, in terms of the net effect, Abbott could appoint another Latina to replace Guzman on the, on the court. Um, but still, as you point out, you got to wonder strategically what that means for the representation that they're seeking.
4: And I think just to the representation effect, it is, it is worth noting, like uh, Eva Guzman, first uh, Hispanic woman on the Texas Supreme Court um, that's you know that's history making uh, very cool but as my partner often points out when when you see uh, the first woman anything it's very cool to see it but it also tells you how how far we still have to go in terms of representation and equal representation
3: you would be the first um, female AG in Texas
2: right and and speaking of statewide races you also have State Senator Dawn Buckingham running now to be what would be the first female land commissioner and she's already openly uh, running on that. And so you're gonna see these, I think, representation questions cut across multiple statewide races this cycle.
1: Well, we will keep an eye on that. Thank you to Ross, James, and Patrick. Thank you to our producer, Justin. And thank you to our sponsors, Raise Your Hand Texas, the George W. Bush Presidential Center, Texas 2036, and the Austin Community Foundation. We'll talk to you all next week.